Well, hey, good morning, Community Church. We're so glad uh, to see you this morning and glad that you're joining us, whether you're online or you're at one of our campus locations. Uh, just so pleased that you could be with us as we're getting into week three uh, of what is going to be a pretty critical series in the life of our church over the next couple of years. Uh, over the last two weeks, we've started to explore a vision for this next two years of ministry. Uh, and we're calling this next two-year season Elevate. And we're trying to understand what does it mean and what does it look like for us as community church to be a people set apart, to be lifted up for the glory of God. And we've been using the early church in the book of Acts to give us uh, some inspiration and a model for how to do that. Uh, and so if you are just joining us for the first time and you missed the first two weeks, it's okay. It's not too late. But what we would love to do is get a guidebook in your hands. And so if you're in person and you haven't gotten a guidebook, there are some at the back of the room or in a table in the lobby. And if you're joining us online, your host uh, can drop a link in the chat for a digital version of our guidebook. Uh, if you're a note taker, Page 28 is where you've got some spots for notes today, uh, and if you want to peruse through that guidebook, we'd be more than happy for you to do that. Just as a way of reminder, when we start thinking about what Elevate looks like for Community Church, we have two major goals. Uh, the first one is that we want to see every single person that calls themselves a part of Community Church, uh, every single one, uh, have an encounter with Jesus when it comes to their life and their heart and generosity. Because we know that the way that we live our lives when it comes to generosity and selflessness uh, is a marker of how much we put our trust and our faith in Jesus. And the second is that God has just put it on the heart of our church leaders, our pastors, our elders, uh, to accomplish some pretty incredible things over these next two years. And so by way of refresher, there are three main areas that we want to see uh, accomplished over these next two years of Elevate. We want to see the, ele uh, the gospel be elevated. We want Jesus Christ, his name, to be made more famous in central Michigan and around the world, uh, and we want to be a part of doing that. And so for us, that looks like having all of our ministry geared towards adults uh, for the next two years at all of our campuses. So everything that we're already doing, Sunday morning worship, celebrate recovery, streaming online, uh, proclaiming the name of Jesus to be fully funded. Uh, it looks like releasing 200 well-equipped disciple makers, uh, not just people that were discipled themselves, but they could go now and make disciples of other people. Uh, and it also looks like taking gospel to an unreached people group in mid-Russia. Uh, the second thing is we want to expand our reach here in central Michigan. We've got campuses in Alma uh, and a brand new building in St. John's that we're getting ready to launch the campus now before the end of this year. And those spaces are going to need to be made into ministry spaces. Uh, and so the work happening in St. John's, the work that's going to be starting in Alma in a few weeks, uh, those need to be fully funded and built out. Uh, and also, we just want to be responsive to what God might do in the future uh, for an opportunity for another campus somewhere in central Michigan. And then finally, we want to empower the next generation. Uh, we love kids and young adults and students here at Community Church, and so we want to see the spaces that are geared towards kids and young adults here in Mount Pleasant uh, just get a bit of a facelift to make it a great space. And so first and second floor kids, the chapel area of the building, uh, we want our kids' ministry programs 
and staff and our staffing and programs for young adults and students to be fully funded for two years. And then we want to create some very new partnerships with schools in Central Michigan, as well as some global partnerships with World Vision and an orphanage in Sierra Leone to minister to kids uh, in different parts of the world. And so that's a whole lot that God has put on our hearts. Uh, and as we continue to look at the early church, we want to let the model of how they did life and they did ministry and how they followed Jesus to be our guide and to be an inspiration for us. And so when we look at the book of Acts, there's two just major themes that jump off the page for me. And hopefully you see these as well. The first is that uh, the Spirit of God is alive and present and powerful in the book of Acts. Amen? And so the Spirit of God is, is just coming on the disciples in the early church, and it's empowering to them to do signs and wonders, to have vision, to be wise, to be good leaders, to multiply, uh, and face immense challenges that starting the church looked like. And then the second is that there is this major sense of selflessness and generosity that comes over the early church. And, and both of these things point to the work of Jesus Right? Because Jesus modeled these things for them. He taught them to be trusting of his spirit. He taught them to be selfless and generous. Uh, it's all because of the work of Jesus that the church lives this way. And so we want to look at a bit of a different kind of story from the book of Acts today. Because there's so much of Acts that is inspiring and it feels like, oh man, the church is growing. They're on the move. They're empowered. They're doing amazing signs and wonders. Um, but this story that we're going to look at today is almost the exact opposite of that. The story today actually feels like a loss. Uh, it doesn't feel like a triumph. It feels like the church is under pressure and that it's going on the defensive because today we're going to look at the life of a man named Stephen. And Stephen was the very first Christian martyr, the very first person ever killed because he followed after Jesus. And so if you've got a Bible with you or your Bible app and you want to open up to Acts 6 and 7, we're going to spend some time there today. Uh, because Stephen enters the scene of the biblical narrative in Acts chapter 6, uh, where he gets selected out of a crowd of people, uh, and then his time in the Bible narrative ends in Acts chapter 7. And there's not much that we uh, see about the life of Stephen except from these two chapters. But he has a story that could teach us something about how to live a life of generosity. And so since we get the luxury of perspective, uh, of being able to read the Bible in a modern context and look back on this life of Stephen, uh, I want us actually to look at the progression of Stephen's ministry. Because what we'll come to at the end of Acts chapter 7 is that there's this moment where Stephen is standing up in front of this religious council and he's making this impassioned speech and he has a vision of heaven and the leaders can't take it, and they take him out of the city, and they actually put him to death by stoning. Uh, but you look at this moment where, where Stephen is having this vision in this speech, and you might think that it's the Spirit of God that comes on Stephen for that one moment to turn him into some kind of super disciple. And what happens in our own life when I read that story is sometimes it causes me to create distance and say, well, I've never had that experience where I've been empowered by the Spirit of God to make this impassioned speech, to, to fix my eyes on Jesus in the face of impending death. You know, I've never had that overwhelming sense of God's Spirit moving so powerfully on my life, and so I don't have to learn anything from this. I don't have to apply the life of Stephen and the ministry of Stephen to my existence. 
And so we automatically create this distance between ourselves and this part of the Bible. And what I want to do today is see uh, how Stephen's ministry progressed. Because what we actually see all the way going back into chapter 6 of Acts is that Stephen is someone who's just oriented his life around following Jesus in a way that would be classified as faithful. Because in Acts 6, you have the apostles trying to resolve a dispute between Greek Christians and Jewish Christians about the care of widows. And so you have the leaders of this church coming to discuss issues and solve problems around feeding widows. And they decide, actually, that's not the best use of our time. We should be teaching, we should be preaching, we should be encouraging and building the church. And so they commission the church body to say, find us seven men, and there's two characteristics that they look for. Wise and full of the Spirit. Wise and full of the Spirit. And that's where we find Stephen. Stephen is selected as one of these men who is wise and full of the Spirit. And so he's oriented his life of being part of this church and being known for his wisdom and his ability to listen and respond to the Spirit of God. Stephen moves from being part of the crowd to being a leader because he's found faithful to those two things, being wise and being full of the Spirit. And he takes the place where God had him as a part of this early church, and he responds by taking a next step into being a leader. Last week, if you were with us, Pastor Allen uh, had the giving ladder right here on the stage next to him. And we talk about this picture of the giving ladder because it's powerful for the way that it's concrete and it shows you how to move. Right? It shows you how to take a next step. And I love the fact that we can actually take the same principle that we use in the giving ladder and apply it to our life in different ways. It doesn't have to be all about generosity because the principle is you know where you stand and you know where you can go next. And so there's this idea of being an initial or an occasional giver uh, and you could take a next step by becoming a committed or a lifetime giver. And you, you make plans about how to orient your life. And so we could apply this to something as simple as being selfless. We can do some self-reflection and say, you know, am I a selfless person? Am I a kind person? Am I obedient to God? And we can put ourselves at a place on the ladder, so to speak, And then we ask the question, what does it look like for me to take a next step? And so we see this in Stephen's life. He he knows that he's a faithful man. We know that he is someone who is listening to the Spirit of God. And he responds by taking that next step and becoming a leader in the early church and attending to the widows. But he does it in a way that is true to character because he's a leader in a serving ministry. He's now responsible for feeding and caring for widows. And so whether it's serving selflessness or obedience to God's word, we can find our place and we can take our next step. And something that's notable for me is that uh, if you've caught the pattern, the book of Acts is not shy about talking about people's money, how they use it, how they give it, how they save it for themselves, whether they're generous with what they have or not. And actually nowhere does it talk about Stephen's resources. It talks about how he's faithful with his whole life. It talks about he steps into leadership and serving. And so we find Stephen being found faithful and taking next steps with his gifts and with his time 
and with his service. And we want to be found faithful as well. So in the context of your life, maybe here in this local church or in your relationship with Jesus, what might it look like for you to be found faithful? What might it look like for you to be found faithful? Well, maybe it looks like committing to a greater depth of spiritual formation and discipline. Maybe it looks like being humble and working with excellence in a job that you you don't really love. Maybe it's showing up and being a friend to a neighbor who's having a hard time. Or maybe it's making the choice to love your spouse when they're not acting so lovable. Or maybe it's attending to your kids instead of checking out when you come home from work and you've had a long day. Or maybe it's choosing to contribute in the family of God instead of just sitting on the sidelines. Whatever it is, I want to define faithfulness for us today this way. That faithfulness is a daily choice for us to turn our eyes, our affection, and our action towards Jesus. You know, one of the things that we've been trying to do through these three weeks of the series is to find ways to encourage one another. Uh, and what I love about hearing from people right in our church family uh, is that when people share stories of how God's continuing to teach them, to encourage them, uh, and to, to grow them up in their faith, that is a powerful thing for me. Uh, and so I want to share just a brief story with you from someone right here in our church family. I'd love for you to watch this on the screens together. All right, so um, my name is Landon Palmer. Uh, my wife, Abby, and I have been a part of Community Church for just over four years now. And um, I'm a local business owner. I actually have several Big B Coffee locations across the state of Michigan. Uh, I've been doing that since 2013, so almost 10 years now. And yeah, it's been, it's been a blessing. So right out the gate, when we opened up our first store, we wanted to commit our store to the Lord, and, and by no means did we do that perfectly, but that was the intentions um, behind our business, you know, praying over the store before we open, and then kind of just bless the employees and, um, you know, use use that money to get back to God, you know, because it's all His, his to begin with, so, um, yeah, and, and we've been able to see that on both sides of the spectrum with our first store that, that did really well and then also our second store that did not do well. And so through all of that, you know, our, our giving remained the same and, and that's because it's it's all God's to begin with and we just we trust him with our finances, with our businesses and uh, yeah, just extremely thankful for how he's blessed us and yeah, I think keeping perspective on just everything when bills come in, when things unexpectedly happens, when COVID hits, you know, when things like that affect business or um, there's just so many unknowns. I just know that um, I always cry. (laughs) Um, God just provides. Always. And I don't give, uh, like Abby and I don't give because we expect something in return. Like, that's just where our heart is right now. It's just, he's a provider in every single way. Um, Yeah, he's just, he's a provider in so many ways, not just with business, but um, I just, all parts of 
Abinai's life. He's just continuing to provide and bless. And um, cool to see how he continues to provide for us. Um, as a businessman, and honestly, just a man in general, Abby and I have tried to prioritize our finances. And I learned this up north at my church and um, kind of put it on paper for me, and it was awesome to see. And we've always, we were doing this, but then to see it on paper just really helped. So we always do tithes first, and then um, our needs, and then our debts, and then our wants. And, and by no means have I always done that perfectly in terms of, uh, especially the wants category sometimes hops above the debts. But yeah, the, the tithes, the needs, the debts, and then the wants is kind of how we've structured our entire um, life in terms of business, in terms of family. Um, and that's just kind of what we feel God calling us to. Well, I just love when we get to share stories like this because I know when I hear how God is at work in the life of someone else, uh, it stirs up my faith. It stirs up that same area where God wants to speak to me um, and it use his words, use Landon's words to, to encourage my life. Uh, and so as we come back to Acts, we've, we've seen Stephen found faithful. Uh, and as he continues to grow in, in his leadership and his influence in the community, what actually starts to happen is that Stephen's reputation grows to the point where he actually starts to get pushback from people who are against the way of Jesus. Uh, so we're going to look at Acts 6.8 and Acts 6.10. And so Acts 6.8 describes Stephen. And so he's so full of grace and power, he's doing great wonders and signs among the people. And so when this starts to happen, his influence and his stature in the community grows. And in Acts 6.10, it talks about these people who are trying to argue with him, you know, but they can't withstand the wisdom that the Spirit gave him as he spoke. And so we, again, we see these characteristics. He's wise, and he's full of the Spirit. And so he's producing fruit in God's kingdom. So now it's not just that he's caring for the widows, it's that he's having influence in his community. He's having influence beyond the scope of the church now. And it's actually producing fruit for the kingdom of God. But that fruit comes at a cost for him. It actually requires that he, he depend more deeply on God's Spirit and step into this whole life giving of himself. Because now it's not just his, his stuff and his time and his gifts that he's giving. Now producing fruit for God's kingdom is actually costing him his reputation. Now it's costing him his status in the community because now he's got people who are influential who are speaking out against him. To the point that when they can't stand against his wisdom and the spirit of God in his life, they actually have to falsely accuse him to try and undermine him. And you have to imagine that if Stephen could have just gone with the flow, if he would have just stayed as somebody, as a part of the church, if he wouldn't have stepped into leadership, if he wouldn't have listened to the spirit of God, if he wouldn't have responded with the wisdom that God gave him, his life could have been much simpler. He could have followed Jesus quietly as part of the church and he wouldn't have been put under such strenuous persecution. He wouldn't have faced this opposition and speaking out against him. He wouldn't have been slandered. He wouldn't have been dragged before the religious courts and being falsely accused of blaspheming God. All it would have taken was for him to just submit to the way things had always been and to go with the flow rather than doing what God had called him to do. 
But this is what this, the power of God's Spirit does in Stephen's life. It actually presses him forward and makes him more bold and more faithful. And this is what I'm praying that actually this two years of ministry does for our church. That it helps propel us past a moment where it would be easy to just continue doing what we've done. It'd be easy to look inside the walls of this church and inside the, the walls of the Alma campus and be content with where we're at. But rather, we want to take bold steps of faithfulness to Jesus. Bold steps that would see us not just come and bring friends and have people grow our church and continue to be bystanders, but that we would be moved by the Spirit of God to make a great difference for His kingdom. I'm praying that community church, we would step out with whole life generosity, not just our stuff, not just our time, not just our talents, but our whole lives would be laid down before him and that nothing would be held back. That we would be responsive to the needs of greater gospel impact, not just in Mount Pleasant, not just Isabella County, not just Gratiot County, but into St. John's, into Clinton County, and wherever else God might call us to. Because the reality is, is that if you're sitting in this room tonight, this morning, if you're watching online, if you're in Alma, that you have friends and families and coworkers and neighbors who are desperately in need of a hope that only Jesus can offer them. So what do we do to respond to that? I know that there are people in our church who are desperately needing to be discipled, to be grown up in their faith so that they're not little children anymore. That there are children and students and young adults in our church, in our local schools, and in an orphanage in Sierra Leone that matter to Jesus. That there's still a need for us to press forward and resist the danger of just being still and content and complacent. But all of that requires something from us, doesn't it? See, for Stephen, after he's found faithful and after the Spirit of God has just moved in his life and raised his level of influence in the community, he gets called before the court in Israel. He gets called before the religious court and they're accusing him of blaspheming the name of God and the law of Moses. And it's all made up. He never did it. It's all made up. And he gives them this great speech. And it's the history of the people of God. And he tells them in all the ways that God has been faithful to them and all the ways that the people of God had failed their God. All the ways that God had been faithful to them and tried to bring him back to himself and all the ways that they had failed their God. The way that they had killed his prophets, that they had shouted down his messengers and that they hadn't responded to God pleading for their hearts to come back to him. And these religious leaders, they're, they're so angry at all that Stephen has to say, even though it's all right, it's all true. And they're shouting him down, and in the midst of them trying to, to shout him down to get him to be quiet, he has this vision. Acts 7.55 says it this way, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit still, looks up to heaven. He sees the glory of God, and Jesus is standing at the right hand of God. And so he tells these religious leaders, look, I see heaven open. I see the Son of Man, and he's standing at the right hand of God. Well, this is just the final straw for this religious council, and they can't take it anymore. They drag him out of the city, and they stone him to death. 
And there's this heated moment where he's being shouted at, where he's probably fighting for his very life. And we see Stephen, faithful, wise, and full of the Spirit. And he's not fighting for his life. He's not even arguing back against them. He's looking up, and he sees Jesus. And the very end of his life, he's got his eyes not on his circumstances and not on the things that are going on for him, but he's got his eyes on Jesus. And I want you to to compare that moment in Stephen's life. And I know since you're sitting in this room that none of you have ever been in that situation where you're about to be killed, but maybe it's a challenge. Maybe it's a difficult situation. It's a job loss. It's cancer. It's somebody being ill. It's divorce. It's children who are having a hard time. Whatever it might be, whatever that challenge you're facing in your life, it's not as severe as being killed, but what's your response in that moment? What's your go-to response? Because isn't it more true that often when we face a challenge, our eyes go right here. They go right to ourselves. And we try and solve our own problems and come up with our own strategies and think about, how am I going to get myself out of this mess? How am I going to work the problem and find a solution? And then you contrast that with Stephen, who's waiting for his imminent death. And he's not working the problem. He's, he's, he's staring up and seeing Jesus. His gaze is elevated above his circumstances. And he's looking to his hope. I know that this is often my default response, being a firstborn and a problem solver and the oldest child. I love to make things get fixed. And over 15 years of marriage and having uh, kids that are in their teenage years, whenever somebody comes to me with a problem, I've had to train myself to ask one really important question. Do you want me to help you fix this, or do you just need me to listen? And I'm trying even now to shift that again from, do you need me to fix this? Or why don't we pray and see what God has to say about this? Because that's my natural tendency too, is to try and solve the problems and fix the situations. Or maybe it's just as likely that we don't ever even look up and see Jesus because we're so consumed with the things that are going on around us. We spend all of our time focused on our work and all of the stuff that that brings us, not just from resources, but from identity and purpose. We set our eyes and our minds and our kids and their activities and the things that are going on in their life and what they're achieving. Or maybe it's our social standing or the next vacation or our next house renovation or the new car or the new clothes and how do I look to everybody else? Whatever it is, it's certainly wrapped up in the things of this world. And it keeps us distracted, and it keeps us busy, and it keeps us self-focused, and it keeps our eyes everywhere except looking up to Jesus. And there's such a sense of contrast between how we spend our time and our lives and our attention to the way that Stephen did. And it goes against the clear instruction of God's word. There is a clear pattern all the way from the Old Testament. So many of the, the law and the prophets tell the people of God, 
Remember what your God has done. Think on it constantly. Look at all of the goodness that the Lord has provided to you. Jesus tells his disciples, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. The Apostle Paul writes a letter to a church in Colossae, and he tells them, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and set your minds on the things that are above, not the things that are here on earth. The writer of Hebrews tells us, set your mind, fix our eyes on Jesus, because he's the pioneer. He's the perfecter of our faith. And so we see this pattern. Think on the Lord. Remember the Lord. Look at his goodness. Fix your eyes. Set your mind and it's never on the things that are here. It's on the things that are above. And they come with a blessing if we keep that promise. Because if we do that, if we remember, if we store up, if we lift our sight, if we elevate our eyes, then God is going to make us into the one who we have our attention fixed on. He's going to make us more like Jesus. And that's what we want, is to become like him. And that's our main objective as we go forward in these two years of ministry is that we would have our eyes firmly fixed on Jesus, that they would come up from the ground, that they would come up from our circumstances, and that we would see him and know him and become more like him. That we would elevate our eyes to be fixed on the things that Jesus wants us to see. So I want to pray for us that we could do just that this morning. Would you guys pray with me? Heavenly Father, we declare today that we are a people whose eyes are too quickly drawn to the ground. That our gaze is too quickly put on ourselves in the ways that we, we feel our own importance much greater than it should be. So Father, would you help us bring our sight up from the temporal, from the, the fake, and the things that are not going to last and would we put them on Jesus? Would we look for heavenly things? Would we keep our eyes firmly fixed on you as you continue to make us into the image of your son? Amen. Amen. Well, Stephen's story is an example of someone who stepped into following Jesus with their entire life. Uh, but with this huge vision that God's put on our hearts for the next two years, uh, obviously, it takes resources to be able to make that come to life. Uh, and so Pastor Wally is going to come and share uh, just a little bit of how we can use a tool to help us make sure we plan accordingly for all that God wants to do. You've got uh, cards that were on your seat, if you'll hold on to those for a minute. Uh, we're not asking for a commitment today, uh, Pastor Allen said a couple of weeks ago. We're just talking about committing to make a commitment. And it's a very serious thing. It's going to require prayer. It's going to require a lot of discussion uh, in the groups that you're in with your, your family or as an individual. But definitely listen to what the Lord says and be faithful and filled with the Spirit and then respond. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk you through the card just so that the questions may be answered. And uh, if you're looking at your card right now, you're going to see some boxes on it, and on the left-hand side of the card at the top 
you've got that first box that is for annual giving. That's how much you give for a total year. Now, you may or may not know that figure. If you need help with that, you can call the church office. You can go online to our website, to CCB, where your records are private and held there, and you can check on that. We're happy to help you find that. So that's the number that you would put in that first box. The second box is the increase you're going to give for one year. And we'll do an example in just a few minutes. Then you're going to total those, and you're going to slide to the right, and multiply times two because this is a two-year commitment. And then after you have that figure, most of which has come from your earned income, we now move into stored resources. So maybe you're tired of that boat that you didn't even take out this year and you want to sell it, or you've got property or you've got stock or some other asset that is yours that you feel God is calling you to get rid of and you get a price for that, and you put that into the stored resources box. And then you total those. And that total is going to be the commitment you're making for two years. So let's go through it with a, a fictitious person who is actually giving $100 a week. So if he's filling this card out, in the left-hand side, he's going to put 5200 Then... He and his wife decide that they want to increase their giving by 50%. So they're going to give another $50 a week on top of the 100 That's $2,600 for a year, so they're going to put that in the second box, and that's going to total $7,800. Then, sliding to the right, multiplying times 2, that 78 becomes 15.6. But this group has a boat to sell. And so he and his wife decide to sell it. It's not worth much, but they find Roman, and Roman's willing to pay more than it's worth. And it's $5,000. So now they total those, and over a two-year period, they're going to give $20,600. This is serious in terms of knowing what God is going to tell you to put in these boxes. It's not just something we do casually. So I encourage you to take this home two weeks from now, on the 23rd, is when we will make the final commitment. But you be praying about it, and you just seek the Lord. We believe that God is going to really do some great things through this as we can reach these, these goals that God has set for us and with us uh, to expand the gospel and to reach mid-Michigan and to work with the next generation. So you pray about it. And let's see what God will do. Let me pray with you. Lord, thank you so much for how you have blessed us individually, blessed us as a church, in the campuses you've given us, and in all the people who've come to know you, people whose lives are changing, the signs, the wonders, the miracles that you are performing. Lord, we give you alone the praise for all of that. And we ask you, Lord, to move through your spirit into our hearts that we might remain faithful like Stephen. Uh, bless us this day, Lord, as we go about the work you've given us, and we will give you praise and look forward to spending the week with you. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.